The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm sharing some of the behind-the-scenes action from the Numinous School. It's a recording of one of our monthly tutorial calls. The Numinous School reopens on Saturday, June 10th for registration. Only 40 spots are available, so I thought I'd share with you an actual experience of what it's like to connect each month. So each month in this year-long program, I convene two online video calls. The first one is the first Sunday of the month. It's 90 minutes, and it's called an enrichment class. That's where we do a deeper dive into one of the lessons from our textbook. Now, some things are just easier to talk about than write about. And the thing about intuition is that it isn't developed by reading or listening. It's an experiential process. So the enrichment calls are part lecture, but also part practical exercises that I lead you through step by step. And then people will share their experiences and will troubleshoot and will, you know, do a little deeper interpretation. Now, the tutorial call happens on the third Wednesday of the month at lunchtime. And that's the one we're going to listen to today. Tutorials are an open Q&A call, so it's entirely shaped by what participants bring or have emailed me ahead of time. So sometimes I'm just doing a quick intuitive reading for someone. Uh, Sometimes it's a bit of coaching. Um, There are times when we're tackling really tough questions around things like cultural appropriation and spiritual practice or facing death or experiencing illness, um, facing relationship impasse, like contemplating whether our soul's path is really to stay in marriage or leave. In other words, anything and everything that concerns our soul craft can show up in a tutorial call. Now, This episode that you're going to hear features lighter fare in terms of topics because it's actually our first tutorial from last year, the 2016-17 cohort. So there were about 20 people on this call, which I think is actually pretty good for Wednesday at lunchtime. Um, But as we move through the year, naturally, there's a higher sense of trust and connection among the participants. So the topics get a little closer to the bone. But I think this tutorial class um, will give you a really good sense of what the Numinous School is like, and this episode of the podcast will provide some really excellent resources and support for your personal spiritual work right now. So without further ado, welcome to the Numinous School tutorial call. Okay, so I don't have anybody putting hands up just yet, um, but I have a few questions that have been emailed to me. So um, I'm going to start with one that actually comes up fairly frequently, and it's come up actually in the Numinous Convivium. Uh, At least two people have emailed me since they've received their books. And this basically always comes down to what exactly do I mean by trance? What's the difference between trance and meditation? You know, how is yoga nidra different from trance or the same. So I get a lot of questions about um, the definitions. So we can be very specific about it and say that it's really just about brainwave frequency. So how fast and big those waves are of brain activity when they're monitored. Going into trance means that you're slowing down your brainwave 
frequency to what they would call an alpha or a theta state. So alpha and beta is like we're talking, we're, we're totally conscious and awake. Once we go into a relaxed, focused state of concentration, we're going into trance. Within trance, there's all different kinds of things we do. We can do creative visualization, we can, where we are actively um, conjuring worlds and sort of uh, co-creating with our imagination. We can do meditation, which traditionally, uh, classically, would be defined as releasing thought, letting go of all thoughts into more nothingness, into kind of the blank state, um, openness, open awareness. When thoughts come up, we're actually releasing them. We could be doing shamanic journeying, which is quite an active form of trance work. Um, again, that's sort of uh, prompted by the imagination and then the subconscious. We start to encourage the flourishing of prompts and imagery and, and you know, enhancing physical sensations. Um, yoga nidra would be something that we would do within trance. So we've gone to that relaxed, focused state of concentration, and now we're directing our awareness to somatic sensations, very subtle sensations. So trance is the overall uh, function, the catch-all word for when we slow the brainwave frequency down, and then every other thing, <laughs> hypnotherapy, um, you know, every other modality that, that does that is a form of trance, which is why um, I've been having interesting uh, comments. I've been reading about this Netflix movie about Tony Robbins, <laughs> which I haven't watched yet, but I've seen Tony Robbins and I've, I've in the past been kind of a convert and a fan. And now, of course, I'm super appalled as a therapist by a lot of the things he does. But when you go to any kind of performance, a speaker, a, a musician, um, you know, a political rally, when you go into that state where you become very focused on one thing and your brainwave kind of slows down, you're not conjuring your own thought, you're really in a more receptive state, you, you can go into these hypnotic trances, um, you know, watching TV at the end of the day when you're like just zoning out, that is a form of trance. So when I say trance, I don't necessarily mean that you're doing something shamanic. Um, it, it, it's the catch-all word that I prefer to use because it's actually more accurate. Um, that there are many different times when we go in and out of trance, waking up in the morning, falling asleep at night. When you're driving your car home at the end of the day and you arrive in the driveway and you don't remember how you got there, it's because you went into a trance where, you know, look at all the amazing things your, your body and your brain can do without you even needing to think, right? Your brain just kind of slows down and goes into that sort of autopilot where you can function. So you're not necessarily asleep, before that, um, but you're also not engaged in um, cognitive sort of strategic thinking. Um, delta would be sleep. And so that's kind of the, the more specific um, definition of what trance would be. And also I would say kind of who cares what the, what the, what the specific definition, it doesn't matter if you go, you know, I, I had one teacher at a retreat who was really like, we want to try to get down to Delta. 
because that's really where you're having a spiritual experience. And I'm like, you know, I've actually had a lot of really great spiritual insights in the shower, which is like a much lighter brainwave state. So there's no like hierarchy of where it's better to be. Um, it, basically, you're just in a relaxed, focused state of concentration. That's trance. Um, I'm going to just also open it up to anybody. You can just unmute yourself now if you have um, any follow-up question. Can everybody or anyone go into trance? Yeah. So actually, um, the, Dr. George Kappas in the 1950s and 60s did a lot of work on this. He was sort of the first to realize that everyone is able to go into trance. However, we don't all go, you know, willingly in the same way. Um, language and safety have quite a lot to do with it. He wouldn't have used the word safety, but he talked about a spectrum of suggestibility. Uh, with at one end, you had people who were more physically suggestible. So those are the type who end up on stages at hypnosis shows, quacking like ducks and humping chairs. Like those are people who like, they want to go on the adventure of giving up control because the subconscious mind won't ever let you do something that you don't want to do. It's number one job is to protect you. So if somebody is going on that adventure, it's because somewhere subconsciously they enjoy that or they, they want to have that experience. At the other end of the spectrum, Cap has called it the emotional suggestibility, which is a, a, a bit kind of misleading. What he was talking about are people who are more heady the, the heady people like to maintain control. So in order for, for a person who's on the more emotional end of the spectrum to go into trance, they need to have a lot of choice. So if I were to say to someone who is quite emotional, okay, I'd like you to imagine that you're a tree. If they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know what it means. Like, what does it, I don't know what it feels like to be a tree. Do you mean like see a tree? I'm not very visual. This totally isn't working. Like their self-talk will totally them from getting into that relaxed state, which is why when I'm doing trance work, especially in recordings, you'll hear me give lots of different ways it could happen. Imagine or pretend or think about or just remember, <laughs> you know, so it means that for people who have a difficult time um, relaxing and getting into trance, there's lots of ways for them to kind of choose their own adventure and not feel overly vulnerable. What I would say though is that even though we're all on that spectrum and that's kind of what CAP has really established, what would be the more contemporary understanding, particularly um, as we're becoming more sensitive and informed about trauma, is that it's very um, site specific. It's very topic specific. So as soon as you get into a really jugular issue, um, most people will kind of revert to the mean and be like, you know, a little more tense about it. Um, and we actually have a question about somebody, uh, from somebody who's doing the evoking allies meditation that could be about that. So, um, what I would say is that everybody is hypnotizable, but it very much depends on the language, the tone, um, practice. Most of my clients who come see me for the first time kind of are like the first time we go into trance together, they're just kind of observing me. Like, what's she going to say to me? <laughs> what's she going to do? Over time, as trust is built and as they get more and more fluent um, in terms of what their body signals as relaxation to them, you know, some people get a bit of a tingle or other people feel heavy or other people start to feel floaty. Once they start to recognize, oh, the process is working, they can usually relax more into it. So like anything, it is a skill that can be built and, and practiced and developed.
Does that answer your question, Lynn? Yeah, I've been I've been having a bit of trouble. I can occasionally do it myself. Um, I have a background in trauma, a lot of trauma, and I was uh, when I decided to go into therapy, I was in my late teens, I think, or maybe early twenties. I'd already had my my family, so I mean, I was well established in life and thought everything was okay. Had an experience where I really discovered I needed some therapy, and I went to a hypnotherapist, and she said it was impossible. I just needed to go home. She saw me four or five times and gave up told me just that it was not never going to happen and I so I've been sort of working on it I've been meditating since I was 14 which is 30 some years and I meditate well but I'm, I'm still vigilant like even if my body relaxes my brain does what it should while meditating but I'm still always aware of everything that's you know happening so I've been doing the one two three meditation and uh, three two one meditation and I get really relaxed but I'm still very aware of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I would say about the woman who worked with you four times and sent you away is that maybe she was a hypnotist, but she wasn't a hypnotherapist. Uh, because, you know, if, if you're just using scripts and, and, you know, um, and it's not working, it's not the client's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah. So th the other thing I would say as well is that um, many, many people will stay in um, a, a sort of vigilant, very aware state. Uh, that doesn't mean that their brain hasn't slowed down and it doesn't mean that the work isn't effective. It's just that it's more like listening to the radio for them. It's like they can be, it's or like the driving of the car. Like they can be totally doing something else and totally kind of aware, but they have multiple things happening at once. Um, and so we, it's, it's like the same as like, oh, look, this person's athletic and that person's musical. It doesn't mean that neither of them have any potential to, to do the other thing. It's just that we wouldn't expect them to perform in the same kind of way or have their okay. technique look the same. Um, so, yeah. And I also would say that um, it's very important to allow yourself to start to um, like really own your agency, even within the three, two, one. So if you're kind of like listening to me and you're like, oh, I'm really relaxed and she's asking me to do this thing. It's like, I'm not having the experience you're asking me to have right now, but there's this other thing that I'm really interested in that's happening for me and I'm going to explore that. And often people who are kind of more emotional or like vigilant and kind of heady need to have experiences of success and encouragement and affirmation to do that so they can develop that sense of um, kind of flow, being able to let them the more kind of magical things happen for them. Um, but they they often i don't know if this is true for you but often folks who are quite vigilant also have a bit of a either expectation or an external sort of benchmark system for like am i doing this properly am i doing that properly and they sometimes struggle with like perfectionism and doing things right or no, i don't have any perfectionism okay. at all no no <laughs> okay okay good okay good okay well then yeah i would just say that like keep kind of following going down your own rabbit hole and and it may just always be that way that it's a bit more like yeah listening to the radio or you don't go into that like weird technicolor floaty place. It's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Anyone else have any um, follow-up question on that? Patricia does. Hi. Hi. So to the other extreme of that, when I do like the invoking your allies or the, the, the journey to the 
well healing one. I fall asleep. Is that okay? Or are you supposed to stay awake? <laughs> okay. So someone else had that exact same question um, was, I fall, I always fall asleep no matter how awake I am when I start. It seems I'm not ready to consciously make that connection yet. Any tips? So there are a couple of tips. Um, one thing I might suggest is that so when I created the the recordings, they all have, you can't necessarily hear them very well, but they all have theta beats. <laughs> They're all, the music is like super lilting. So it's like, it's brain entrainment. It's like really trying to slow your brain down. So if you're a person who's more in the middle or more um, physical end of the spectrum of suggestibility, you might just kind of go right down to Delta and fall asleep. So you might want to do the exercise without the recording and without music and just like go through it yourself because the brain entrainment might just be totally sucking you in <laughs> to a vortex of relaxation you can't get out of. Um, so that's one thing. Now, the person who emailed me saying, you know, it seems I'm not consciously ready, that also could be something that's true. I mean, I don't know what it might be for that person, but it could be that if you have, say, an abandonment wound that's very acute for you and your fear is like nobody's coming, then the default is, well, I'm just not even going to try because I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to show up in the never-ending white place and have like no guides or allies. So how about if I just have a nap? It's possible that there's some unconscious fear of abandonment or, you know, rejection or that sort of thing. But the first thing I would try is to guide yourself through that journey and trust yourself to know how to do it. You know, maybe practice the three, two, one a few times or listen to it while you're doing something else that's not important, like doing the dishes and like listen to the um, evoking allies from a more um, conscientious place of like, what are the steps? Where does she make me go? <laughs> and then do it on your own in, um, in just the quiet without the music. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I did it in the beginning, I never fell asleep. It was only until when I was having the sleeping issues. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was great. It helped me to fall asleep then. But now when I do it, I still fall asleep. With it. Right. Now you're kind of trained for that. Yeah, well, try, so I would say try it without listening to it guided. And you're probably ready because you've listened to it so many times. So I'd say you're probably ready to, to have it be a self-guided journey. Okay, cool. Great. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks. All right. So uh, the next question, I have actually three questions that are very specific about um, additional resources. So the first question was, um, what's a good shop specifically in Victoria to browse card decks like oracles and angels and tarot and that sort of thing? Um, so I, but I, I do want to cast this farther, not only to make it helpful for everyone, but to, because honestly, Victoria has one place that I actually like, and then other places that are kind of meh that I go to when I'm kind of not desperate, but you know, I don't know if, if you're like me, but every once in a while I'm like, I just need some bookstore therapy. <laughs> like, I just need some, I want a metaphysical store. Uh, and I often fantasize about like opening a metaphysical shop that's super white and minimalist and modern called Sacred. Like it's in my head, but I'll never do it. But like, <laughs> it's like I know what store I wish was there. And I've never seen it in real life yet. So in Victoria, the one place that I've gone for years is called Instinct. And I would say like, it's small, but I would say it's even a 
like worth a visit if you're visiting Victoria. Um, and it's at View and Broad Street, right downtown by the Bay Center there. And I think it's called Instinct Art and Gifts. And it's been there for a number of years. It has a small book section, but they actually have quite a few more card decks than they display. And so all of the sample decks are behind the cache. So what I would sort of normally do is go and look and see if they have any new card decks. And then I ask to see them, even if I have no intention of buying them, I'm like, oh, I just like to see what's new. Um, because in my line of work, I have, you know, I have over 50 decks because different people like different imagery and respond to it differently. And I would actually say of the 50 decks that I own, there are like four that I actually think are good that I would recommend for intuitive development. Um, everybody probably knows by now that I highly recommend the Enchanted Map and also the Wisdom of the Oracle because both of them are illustrated uh, by Jenna Della Grotelia. And if you haven't heard it, I interviewed her on the Numinous podcast, which you can find on iTunes. The reason why her artwork is so useful is that it's incredibly detailed. So the cards have one word usually on it, so minimal um, sort of language and that kind of intervention of, of sort of cognition that takes you out of interpretation um, and very, very detailed imagery with a lot of, sort of archetypal significance. So in Victoria, I would go to Instinct. But actually, if I'm in Vancouver, of course, Banyan is like the pilgrimage trip, Banyan Book and Sound, I think it is, uh, way down in Kitsilano there by UBC. And they have tons of cards, but again, they have lots that aren't even on display. They actually have so many cards, <laughs> they can't even display them all. And a lot of the display um, packs are like, you know, behind glass because they're quite vintage and they don't have too many left. And, um, and so uh, that's worth going to, to look at cards and then make notes of them and take pictures of them because then I'll often just buy them on Amazon or whatever. I really prefer to shop locally, but because my local shops don't have a lot of um, options, when I'm gonna buy online, I go to a site called eclectic.net and it's spelled A-E-C-L-E-C-T-I-C. Dot net, eclectic.net, like a spelling bee. Um, and so what they have is they have user reviews, and I think they also have sort of like um, editors or like power user type things, and, you, and they have a lot of pictures of the cards. So I'll go on and I'll look through, scroll through some of the imagery and um, read some reviews and then kind of Google more of that. And people are very generous with their reviews of cards <laughs> decks. And then I would purchase on Amazon or wherever I can find it. Um, so that's my resource for um, browsing card decks. Somebody else asked about best resources for information about crystals and um, sort of specifically like the significance of different crystals. So there's a, oh, sorry, how to spell the name of the store? Let me just, in Vancouver, Banyan. Banyan is the name of the store in Vancouver, B-A-N-Y-E-N, Banyan Books and Sound, I believe is what it's called. Thanks for the question, Sheena. Uh, so yeah, for crystals, I am kind of of two minds on this. <laughs> I definitely am always Googling, what's the spiritual significance of this like rare thing that I don't know what it is, you know? Like, I'm trying to think of something that I just learned recently. Can't think of anything right now. 
only the classics, but you know, sometimes you like come up, like still bite. What's the spiritual significance of this like peachy, creamy, light colored stone that I, you know, crystal that I hardly ever see. I'll definitely just Google it. And the Google resource that I usually click on if, if she's got something is a site called healingcrystalsforyou.com. But all those words have a hyphen in between it. So it's healing-crystals-for-you.com. And, you know, she I've actually followed her for a long time. You can see when you go on her site, like it's a little bit old school. And she's just been building out this incredible resource. Um, it might have been a little static for the last couple years, but it's just, it's grown over sort of the decades since I first discovered it. And um, she has just tons. And if you don't find the stone that you're looking for, you'd want to look under its, um, like, from a taxonomic perspective, like its umbrella. So look under quartz for amethyst, for instance, because that's the kind. So, you know, you kind of have to get used to her way, but healingcrystalsforyou.net is the best. In terms of books, um, of course, there's the Crystal Bible, which is Judy Hall. And then there's the new Crystal Bible, <laughs> which is Cassandra Eason. Um, but I would say, and there's like three volumes, I think, of the Crystal Bible by Judy Hall. Judy Hall, I would say, is the, the authority or the author that's written the most prolifically, that's written the most um, kind of niche articles on like, here's a whole book on crystals in use for earth ceremonies. <laughs> and like, here's a whole book for crystals for electromagnetically sensitive people like she just she's had a long career so judy hall i would say is pretty pretty great um the other thing that i found really useful though for crystals is again so you have to trust your own intuition with this one um when i'm doing jewelry making and i've just sort of allowed myself to be drawn to whatever stones or beads or things are there and start sort of putting things together. I often start from just my intuitive hit, like I need this. I make a lot of jewelry for other people. And I also make a lot of jewelry when I'm like depressed or feeling like rage about the world. So like this past spring, I made like 12 bracelets for myself. So I have all these stacking jewels now. Um, just because when the world gets hard, I feel like I need that, how soothing it is. And, and I guess it kind of releases energy into the stones. What I often find is after I've allowed myself to trust what I'm drawn to, then I read up and review about the stone. And it's often so congruent with what I'm needing right then that that helps me remember and internalize the significance of that stone, at least for me. So I, again, I'm pretty, I, I support um, ancient knowledge, but I'm also kind of suspicious of universal knowledge <laughs> that I don't think anything's truly universal. So trust yourself to start to um, 
create your own significance and your own relationship with crystals as well. But of course, we all start with like the encyclopedias, right? So those are the ones that I've started with and that um, teachers that use crystals a lot have recommended to me. And so they come from trusted sources. And just over the years being a, you know, bookstore junkie and all of that, you kind of start to see the same things over time. And Judy Hall would be a name that probably will start to pop out at you um, because, yeah, so prolific and for so many years. Um, and I am going to take questions on all this, but I want to add the last one, which was about essential oils. So somebody else also said, oh, I really loved the dipped feather, but, you know, it's, it's fading already because I put it out and it was in the sun. And, you know, where do you get your essential oils? So... It's not like essential oils are very frequently made locally. Like there's certain places in the world that specialize in, like France, for instance, you know, often essential oils go hand in hand uh, with cultures that have uh, ancient traditions of perfumery and sacred scents. So, you know, you find a lot like a lot more sort of spicier um, uh, oils and things that are like resins, things that come from saps and barks and stuff more around, like think of the Silk Road, right? Like the, the spice trade. So coming from the Middle East and parts of Asia and then traditions where it's more garden based and herbal based like England and France tend to be more about distillation from flowers. So um, that said, I still like to purchase from local businesses as much as possible. So where I'm from in Victoria, my local essential oil um, uh, distiller and, and perfumer would be the Silk Road Tea Company. So most of their essential oils are organic. Um, Daniela, who you know owned it and has built this company up over two decades, did study in France perfumery. She does a lot of sourcing of very unusual essential oils, particularly in BC. She worked with the First Nations in the Great Bear Rainforest to start to distill, you know, our particular kinds of barks from, you know, our cedars, our spruce, things that are actually also other plants that are quite difficult to distill from, like junipers and things like that are very easy, but other things are, are you know, requires so much foraging and, you know, you can't just you know, manufacture, you can't do like industrial agriculture of salal berry and things only come up for a little amount of time in very sort of microclimate situations. So I really respect that kind of work. So I mostly use Silk Road. It's also expanding to Vancouver. So if you're in BC, that's, that's a good option. Where I get my more rare items, like if I was looking for white lotus, which most of it is going to be synthetic. Just know that right away. <laughs> if it's rare and you can get it, chances are really good that it's largely synthetic material. So if I want to be sure that it's not synthetic fragrance and it's you know coming from a very reputable source, the best one I found and the one that's been recommended to me by many people, not the least of whom is uh, Glynis Osher, who um, was Mystic Masala, and did you know perfumery and ayurvedic um, candles and things like that in vancouver uh she turned me on to floracopia quite some time ago um and that one is spelled f-l-o-r-a-c-o-p-e-i-a floracopia floracopia yes dot <laughs> com 
And so that's where I get my frankincense resins, for instance, um, if and when they have white lotus, that's where I get that. Um, you know, so very large selection, but also a very deep resource um, if you want to learn more about um, essential oils. I highly recommend also taking a perfumery course. Super fascinating. <laughs> totally changed how I blend my essential oils and how I treat them. Um, I'm still not very good at keeping it simple, but um, having taken the perfumery course, I have a better sense of what is needed and and um, and then in terms of books about it, what is her name? Valerie, I think her last name is Warwood. I'm looking for the book, but it must be in the other room. W-O-R-W-O-O-D. And she wrote the um, Fragrant Pharmacy, which is also pretty old and vintage, but all about different essential oils and their uses. And then she also does a book. I can't remember exactly what the title is, but it's like aromatherapy for spiritual purposes. Um, and so she gets sort of really into angels and, um, you know, guides and like which, which essential oils do which specific spiritual healing <laughs> practices and stuff like that. So um, again, I, I, I like to read those things to kind of get my baseline and my bearings. And then after that, you want to follow your own intuition and keep a, a spiritual journal, an intuition journal to kind of track um, so that you remember how you were affected by things. Um, so, okay, there's a whole bunch of... <laughs> information. And now if you have a question uh, about um, cards, crystals, essential oils, where to get things, uh, go ahead and either put up your hand or just unmute yourself and pop in. Uh, it's Patricia. Hi, Patricia. <clears throat> Quick question about the, the deck, the Oracle deck. Do you care when you pull it, whether it's reverse or not, or do you just really look at the card? That's a really good question. Yeah, so there's <laughs> lots of uh, debate about this if you go into card forums and things like that. I don't use reverse cards. The reason I don't is because the way that I read or interpret is that every situation has the potential for um, expressing light or shadow attributes in yourself. Almost, I am never all good <laughs> or all shadow. I'm always a combination and influenced by both. And so I think it's important to acknowledge both the light and the shadow attributes of every card that comes up as as probably both expressing at that time in your life. Um, I also don't have a deterministic view of the cards. So, you know, they're a mirror of my internal experience. I'm not actually using cards in a particularly predictive way which I think when you're doing reverse cards is like, I want to know if this is good or bad, <laughs> right? Which just isn't my style. Some people prefer that though, because it, it kind of narrows down their reading for people. Um, I think if your relationship with your card deck is such that you feel a little twinge, like if you go to unreverse a card and you get a, I'm not supposed to do that feeling, then you know, that, then that's really important to honor. So I don't, I, I'm not, um, yeah, I don't have like hard and fast rules, but for me, I, I generally, 
I, I, every card could be reversed for me. It's always going to have um, both of those. I don't freak out if the death card comes out. I don't freak out if, you know, the three of cups comes out upside down, like, oh my God, I'm going to be breaking up with my husband or whatever. Rarely do those things ever really pan out in that way anyway. So um, yeah, but I'm totally open to people who have a different view of that. And if anybody feels differently, <laughs> like, I'd totally love to hear the rationale. Um, that's, that's how I feel. What's your sense of it yourself, Patricia? I don't like it either. Right. I don't usually, I don't usually look at it that way, but the, uh, the enchanted map, she gives you both, both, uh, ways to look at it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. And so I just always incorporate both ways to look at it into, and, and here's the other thing is unless you're doing a one card reading where it's like, <laughs> yeah, what am I supposed to get out of this one card today? You know, if, if I were to do a one card reading and I pulled like a card and it was upside down and it kept doing that three days in a row, then I, I'd maybe start to listen to that as just like, not just that individual card, but just that my life may feel upside down or I may be feeling obstacles. Like I'm not in flow <laughs> right now. That's how I might take that. But any card I'm always looking at in the context of all the cards around it. So if every card was like, um, if it was a tarot deck and every card had lots of um, swords <laughs> and there were like a bunch upside down, I'd be like, okay, conflict. I hear you. If it's an Oracle deck and most of the cards are really, um, you know, light and upbeat and like one or two are upside down. I, again, I would just say like, yeah, you know, there may be, there's always going to be aspects that um, draw out the shadow because the shadow needs to be invited to. It's always there anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of like you that it's like, it's not, I, I don't, I don't really feel like reverse cards enhance my experience with the cards at all. I just incorporate it every time. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I, okay. Thanks. Did you have something else? No, I used to see um, Lion at Avalon for tarot cards uh -huh. reading. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I saw him once a year for 15 years. And it was interesting because a lot of time, and he does tarot card reading. And a lot of time, even when it's reversed, he sees what the cards, the other cards are. And then he might turn it back again. So mm -hmm. that is Mm hmm. Yeah, that's I thanks for bringing up Avalon. Um, so that's like the second place in Victoria that I'll go if I'm like, just I, I need to scratch the itch for the metaphysical thing. But like, I don't like dark metaphysical stores with like lots of incense and like wall hangings and stuff. But Avalon is I should say the other place to get cards. Uh, downtown and Lion has been doing readings there. Yeah, probably for like 25 or 30 years or something like that. I've never personally had one, but I know lots of people who have. Um, and yeah, and I've been in readings. I've had so many readings over the years and, you know, people have done it both where they've seen it upside down and they pull it right side up. And sometimes where they go, oh, well, that's reversed and it means this. But I now realize that every reader has their own relationship with their cards. And so if, if as a reader, you have a card that comes up reversed frequently, let's say, to me, that would say that card is wanting you to emphasize that particular shadow aspect so that that would then influence how I um, read that card with everybody. It's almost like the cards have a little message just for you, right? 
Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. Anyone have any follow-up uh, questions? Go ahead, Jen. Um, my question is, you mentioned two sets of cards. What are the third and fourth sets of cards you would recommend buying? Oh, okay. That's a great question. Uh, so these are sort of more like personal favorites. <laughs> uh, one is called the, I think it's called the Mary Magdalene Oracle, and that's by Tony Carmine Salento. I think, I don't know if he has more than one Mary Magdalene one, but um, but I just really enjoy that one because I kind of have a thing with Mary Magdalene. <laughs> like she's my she's my jam. <laughs> she's my teacher. Uh, and I really enjoy the artwork as well from his. It's um, He has another one too. I kind of make them equivalent. Tony Carmine Salam, Salerno has um, angels, gods, and goddesses. So I'd say those are equivalent for me. The artwork is very sort of sexy and sensual. I have some challenges with it too. They all look like very young, skinny, white angels. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I don't particularly love that part, but I do like the colors and stuff like that that he uses. Um, so less useful for interpretation, but I just, I like the relationship I have with those cards and they don't have words on them. That's another thing. There's, there's like... It's, it's a very personal thing. I think you, Jen, as an artist, would really enjoy the Mary Magdalene article. Uh, okay. article. I think you would. Um, and then the last one that I use is my tarot deck, which um, if anyone's had a reading with me in person and I've used cards, um, it's called the Mythic Tarot. And um, this is, I don't know if you can see, but like that's the back and um, okay. they're like this. So the Mythic Tarot is by Liz Green and Juliet Sharman Burke. So this is the thing, I, I, I highly recommend reading up on the people creating these decks because Liz Green is um, a psychologist and an archetypal astrologist and Juliet Sharman Burke is an archetypal astrologist. So it's a, it's a different way of working with patterns in the cosmos. Um, it's a very... Uh, it's almost a mathematical, it's definitely, a, you know, it's, it's based in psychological analysis of like psychological types. And so when they <laughs> created this deck, they used um, four Greek myths as the different suits. And because I've grown up ever since I was a small child, completely fascinated with Greek mythology and like very much able to imagine myself living in ancient Greece in like lots of different kinds of ways. Um, it's very easy for me to uh, kind of go off the page or off the card into what the whole story means. And so all of the characters in that one image and, and all of the meaning of that, you know, one um, incident that each card represents means so much to me. And so because I've been working with this deck for a decade very you know attentively and and not quite daily but I mean especially at Christmas time when I'm doing year ahead readings and I pull out cards sometimes five times a day I'm like working with this deck so I know it very intimately and I'm sure that if I went to the book I would not recognize which card necessarily she was always talking about because I have gone so far off the page. The, re the relationship with me and each one of the images is, is so specific and so deep that it, it's just a very, yeah, it's just a very deep relationship. Um, 
And um, the book that she wrote to go with it was, was quite formative for me in terms of um, using myth in my work as a hypnotherapist and um, in my retreat work and all of that, just like, uh, you know, connecting with a very ancient lineage of storytelling and the archetypes that are alive within each of us, male and female. So yeah, it's, it's not so much the deck, it's the relationship that I've built with it. And so um, I, I would say like, that's certainly possible for everyone. You just have to find it. I think creators and artists that the art actually, I, I don't even know who did the art in this one. Actually, she's semi-famous. If I were to think about their name, I think it's Italian, but anyway, I don't even like the art <laughs> in this deck, but I really, um, I really like the stories and they really resonate. So is that helpful for you? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. And I'd love to hear if anyone else has one that they would recommend that has been, you know, a really great find that isn't, um, you know, very common. I'd love to hear that. So, um, yeah, last few minutes. Are there, is there anyone else with a question or a follow-up? Hi, Carmen. It's Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Um, um, I have a question. I don't know if it's too big for this call, but... I've been working with my pendulum and um, sort of asking questions around a certain issue and, or other, like I've been playing with it with like sort of mundane issues and just sort of watching the yes and no and sort of learning to trust it. Um, but there's this bigger question that I've been working with and I got a, what I thought was a very clear answer. And then I was, um, I used it again and I got the opposite answer and I'm just, wondering if you have any insight around how to work with that mm -hmm. um just to kind of make sure that we're both following kind of the same process and using the pendulum so whenever you start using your pendulum are you sort of testing for yes or no i like, am yeah. yeah okay good so you tested for yes or no it gave you yes one time you tested for yes or no it gave you a no a different time Mm -hmm. Okay, so I usually take a step back and there's like two things you could do for this. You could either um, have surrogates do it. I'm really fortunate to have a group of women that sometimes we just text each other and we say, hey, I have this question and we don't even necessarily, I've done it before with them on like really jugular issues like around, you know, marriage and all that kind of stuff around like, I have a question in my heart is the answer yeah. yes or no? Can you use your pendulums? And they all came back with this like resounding yes. And then I was like, awesome, I'm separating from my husband. And they were all like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, no, see, that's why I didn't tell you. But you know what? Like in retrospect, that was the best thing. And the separation saved our marriage for sure. And really very healing for, for me. I can't speak for my husband, but it's definitely a growth experience for him. So I like using surrogates, but I'm fortunate to have surrogates that are very close and who I know to be um, pretty engaged with their intuition on a fairly regular basis. And we meet every couple of weeks with that sort of spiritual intention to connect to the heart. So if you don't have- I have that too, actually. Oh, That's good. a really good resource. 
Yeah. So that's what I usually trust. And I've, and you know, if you've got four or five of them, then that I, I usually kind of look at it more, it's not a democracy, right? But it's more like, yeah, where's the energy at? And I'm kind of maybe 80% in the positive and 20%, not so much. Um, so there's that. The other thing I would do is ask the secondary question, which is to what degree is that true? So maybe you're getting a weak yes, you know, like, ah, okay. so you can use the percentage on the wheel. And so if it's like, yep. yes, is like 50%, <laughs> then it's like, hmm, <laughs> you know, and then so then you might easily get a no the next day. Um, so that's another thing to do is I, I kind of look at it more like, okay, there's this like pie of energy <laughs> and how much of it is in the affirmative mm -hmm. <laughs> side and how much of it is not so much. Um, and of course, then like, I guess the third thing would be, uh, it may be that, that this is one of those situations that um, is, is not for you to know, or maybe that's the exercise. There's like the bigger lesson, maybe one of getting comfortable not knowing, or the bigger lesson, maybe one of it's not time for pendulum work, it's time for somatic work, or, you know, so you're kind of, you have to look for the patterns um, and see if there's other indications that, you know, you're meant to be in the, in the, um, in the, in the place of kind of like the blind hermit tarot card, right? <laughs> like, yeah, where you are. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Is that helpful at all? Yeah, very helpful. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think there is probably for me and sort of wanting it to be a certain way and that I wonder if it's influencing it too. So, yeah, yeah I always think that's the hardest thing, the pendulum, when you really want it, it and it, you can't be neutral. And I've totally had people be like, well, then that's not so useful. <laughs> I'm like, but it is useful because it's feedback, right? It's feedback. That it's, yeah. Oh, I've got a white knuckle grip here. And there, that's why there are many, many kinds of tools. I think pendulum work, yeah. for me, I find it most effective when I'm doing it for other people or when I'm just making decisions that, like, I really am accepting, like, what should the pricing be for this program? I'm like, really yes. just going to go with it, whatever it tells me. Then I find it's yeah. most effective. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for Thank your you. Very helpful. Okay. Ciao. All right. The next person on the phone I have ends in uh, 2977. Let us know who you are and what's your question. Hey, Carmen. It's Jenny. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Um, yeah, I guess what I've been questioning, I've spent the last month um, really being grounded. Um, the, the book and, and all of the resources were, were very handy. I had sort of a, a 10 out of 10 event last week that um, really required a lot of grounding and regrounding and regrounding. So I feel like I did that really well. And I guess my question I've been sitting with this week now that that's over is what where do I go from here? Like, what do I do next? Whether do I work with the pendulum? Do I get into the cards or the crystals or all of it every day? Like, what should I actually be doing? Um, and I don't know. You can answer that question. I don't. I haven't been able to answer it yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I do think it's really personal. So yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways you could approach that. You could use a tool that you feel really comfortable with to say, what's the next best lesson? If you're a more meticulous kind of person, you know, you might just want to go through the lessons in order because they were created to kind of keep building on each other. So there, I should, I should actually rephrase that. They were created to center and elevate your own experience 
to a level of prime authority. So what I mean by that is getting attuned with how your body gives you signals, getting attuned to, you know, what's happening for you at a very subtle level of somatics when you start to attune to guidance from the more than human realms. It's kind of, it really has centered and put that as a foundation. So right after grounding, you're going into like aligning and attuning and that sort of thing. And then we start to spread out to um, feedback using other tools. So that's, you know, that's something I've done as sort of a philosophical choice so that we don't Mm -hmm. assign too much authority to the tool. I'm really trying to keep authority really (laughs) grounded with you. Um, But that said, you may want to just skip ahead (laughs) to other things now. You know, if you're feeling very grounded and you want more connection, especially if you're a person who really connects with physical intuition. um, And so grounding in like the natural world and the body is really important to you in a way that your intuition speaks really loudly, then maybe Mm -hmm. shamanic journeying is the next best place to go. Um, because that often works for people who who really resonate with, um, you know, animals, landscapes, um, you know, spirit, plant, spirit medicine, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I, I can't really answer it for you, but I would say, like, I really honor that you're open to, like, what's the next step? And, um, yeah, I would just follow your your leanings. And if you feel like you're questioning that too much, I'd probably just go through the book methodically then. Funny enough, I have not, I've done everything and I've looked at everything in the book except shamanic journeying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny that you say yeah, that. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll be reading up on that tonight. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thank- Carmen. <laughs> All right, it's one o'clock, so it's been an hour, but I have a bit of time, so I'm willing to just um, go through the rest of the phone numbers here. The next one. Hi, this is Kate. Hi, Kate. <laughs> um, so I found the work so far really profound with just doing like, yeah, the 10 minutes before bed kind of time slot. Um, in particular, my work, which is really cool. And I feel like I'm a part of this huge unknown other thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my question, I did the first exercise a few nights ago with the your Claire's. Mm-hmm. And up until this point in my life, I've always felt, and, and your descriptions of them, I feel really connected with clairsentience and claircognizance or claircognizance. But I had six out of 12 for clairvoyance. And that kind of like, I felt was kind of, I don't know, like an unknown. I had no idea about that, but I had a lot, mostly images for the words that you read out. So I'm wondering about recommendations for developing that. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that's where a really good Oracle deck is one of the most Mm. sort of immediate forms of feedback for that. I mean, there's, you know, lots of things you could, you could do around, you know, you could start, um, you know, if you have like themes of images, you could really start to research some that, that resonate with you and kind of flesh out those worlds. Some people are a little bit more like, um, literary about it so they you know might read a whole bunch about like myth and different kinds of mythology so books like women who run with the wolves or hero with a thousand faces they have like tons of you know story and imagery and that sort of thing um but Mm -hmm. since you really uh resonated more with clairsentience um 
and clear cognizance, I, like that just kind of seems like a perfect triangulation for cards because it's like, mm. you know, it's, it's something where you turn it over and you get an immediate hit <laughs> of like, how do I play right. that card? How do I, you know, what else, what other images come with it? Um, that sort of thing. I, I think that, um, yeah, anything that has a lot of, uh, where you have to suspend disbelief, right? So realms of fantasy, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be fantastical or sci-fi. Like I just started watching The Get Down on Netflix, which is like this, you know, 1970s kind of, I watched it. I was like, what is familiar about this, this show to me? And it's like movie length episodes, which I hadn't expected. And I realized, oh, it was directed by Baz Luhrmann. And of course he did Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Mm -hmm. Juliet. So there's these like fantastical worlds that are really kind of new romantic and, um, also have this mythical thing. He loves working with archetypes. He loves infusing sort of magic and whimsy. And so I think that those kinds of things can really inspire us to get more um, particular about like, what is it about that image that's speaking to me? Where do I know this story from? Once I knew that, I was like, oh God, this is Romeo and Juliet, only 1970s rap culture (laughs) kind of thing. Mm. I was like, oh, the get down. So yeah, anything that's hyper-visual, that speaks to you is is a world that you'll probably just want to enter. And I find it's probably easiest to enter it through a deck. Yeah. That's okay. Great. Yeah. Hi, it's Del. Hi, Del. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Wanting to say I'm loving the book, loving everything. Um, Really enjoyed the music. And I have been, so for me, I've been doing some work around the ritualistic part of things which I have found quite interesting as I'm burning or doing anything along that line. So, but other than that, I don't really have a question. I'm just enjoying listening and learning and enjoying it. Great. Awesome. Great. Del. Well, thanks for being on the call. Okay. Thanks. So thanks everyone for being on the tutorial. It's always fun. I love talking um, shop with all y'all. So I really look forward to connecting uh, next month. Take care. Bye everyone. So that's how we do that, my friends. Every month for a year, I host a one hour tutorial call and I also lead a 90 minute enrichment class as part of the Numinous School curriculum. As you heard many of us mention in this episode, the program also comes with a 120-page hardcover, full-color, spiral-bound textbook, and each one has custom handmade elements unique to your copy, like little gifts and surprises that make it a truly experiential learning piece that you can take with you anywhere. And it also comes with a USB loaded with how-to videos and over three hours of music for shamanic journeying and self-hypnosis meditation, plus over a dozen guided meditations to help you develop your intuition and explore your spiritual landscape. If you'd like to register for the next intake, the Numinous School reopens for registration on Saturday, June 10th and only 40 spots are available. Get all the details at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.